0: First on Film and Entertainment, and with me is Peter Krause. I'm Alex First, and it is an exciting time of the year. Happy Hanukkah to all our Jewish listeners. I hope that the year ahead will be much more positive than what we've experienced in recent times, and uh, our hearts go out to anybody and everyone that's been affected on either side of the conflict. And having said all of that, uh, it's, it's just horrible
1: to behold what's happening to the world, Peter Krause, yeah? It is. Good morning, Alex. And yes, it's, uh, it is it is just awful. Uh, hopefully, there'll be some sort of uh, peace agreement and the hostages will be returned as soon as possible. Absolutely. It's just,
0: don't have money for week after week. We speak about it. The world speaks about it. And uh, unfortunately, whether there's going to be a solution or whether there will just be a, an, a, a disquieting type of peace... Whatever it is, we don't want any more lives lost. That's that's the key to all of this. And we also don't want uh, to be pigeonholed as the enemy, which is, you know, the the PR war is an important part of of war these days. And the mistruths that are being spoken, I mean, that that, that is deeply concerning. Deeply concerning, Betty, yeah? Yeah, it is. Now, let's talk about how exciting it is and why it's exciting. This time of the year we are shown the films that are going to be Oscar nominated. I know the Oscar nominations haven't been announced, but a lot of the films we are seeing, we were very fortunate, you and I, Peter, to attend the Nova Christmas party yep. on, what, what date was it? Thursday? Thursday it was last Thursday. Tuesday. Yeah, and I mean, hats off to Natalie Miller. She's been doing it brilliantly for so long, a doyen of the film industry. When I started, it was she... And also Alan Finney, they were the two who were particularly influential. And um, my uh, my heart goes out to both of them. Uh, I, I, you you're around the same era, so were they the two big influences on you as
1: a a young critic? I, I yes, I agree with that. I, I think both of them, uh, because of the Longford Cinema at, uh, that yes. Natalie ran, and Alan being so important with the Australian Film Institute and then uh, actor and so on. Yes, absolutely.
0: Now. Natalie, in her short address ahead of seeing a really fine movie, talked about the opening, imminent opening of another cinema chain. Uh, in Is it Brunswick? Did she mention? I've, I've just gone blank. Uh, uh, East Brunswick, yes. Yeah. Uh, six uh, screens. Six screens. Wonderful. Wonderful. She with a partner. And I'm not sure, do you know the date in terms of it
1: opening early next year? I think Christian actually said it was January 11th. They pushed it back from uh, just before Christmas. So, uh, And it's meant to be a, a combo of food and film. So that, That's going to uh, be nice. That'll
0: be lovely for people. I, I, I don't live anywhere near there. Um, you, you live with um, very, very thin walls uh, wherever the walls go up. Uh, it's cardboard, isn't it, I think? Cardboard walls? That is correct. Absolutely. Right. Yes, yes. Uh, straight from the forest. Yeah, haul them on the back of a pickup truck that's about 103 years old. Is that what it's all about, Beto? You've yeah, in my car. Exactly. <laughs> right, so. No, that's right. That is wonderful. So, uh, we, we're seeing some magnificent movies. I, I should say, because people, it's, it's interesting. The gravitation is towards Boxing Day. Now, do you think Boxing Day is still like, does everybody rush out, those who are not going to the cricket? those who are not going to the Boxing Day sales, do so they all rush out to go and see movies on Boxing Day? Is that what we're supposed to believe?
1: Yes, because that seems to be still the biggest box office period The uh, uh, from Christmas Day, Boxing Day to New Year's. But because of the actor's strike and because of the changes in release patterns and so on, I think some films were pushed back to January and so on. So that might increase the box office in January.
0: Well, just for the sake of, being true to what you've just said, let's talk about the movies in brief terms that are opening. Now we we've seen a number of these, and we can't there'll be some embargoes, so we can't talk about them quite yet. But yep. there's any anyone but you, which is a Sony release. There's Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, which is Warner Brothers. Migration, which I believe is an animated feature from Universal. Poor yep. Things, which was the movie that Peter and I saw on Thursday. Extraordinary movie from Disney Studios. Wish is an animated feature from Disney. One Life. Now, I've, I've already spoken with you about that, Peter. That, I'm not sure. Have you seen that yet? That was part yes, I have seen it. Yeah. The opening of the British Film Festival, a yeah. really strong film. So Anthony Hopkins, uh, one of the featured actors in that, that opens officially on Boxing Day after having been uh, in the British Film Festival. Two tickets to Greece from Palace and the new Woody Allen movie from Sharmel Films' coup de chance. So... That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight movies. That's that's about par of the course, seven or eight usually each year. Yep. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then, then you've got Next Gold Wins on the first of January from Disney. And you've got Dream Scenario, the Nick Cage movie. I'm not sure you've seen that yet, Peter, because that was during the day a screening from I have seen it. Oh, you have seen it. Oh terrific. Yes. Okay. So yeah, they're so they're they're the films and then you've got Ferrari, which is Enzo Ferrari's life story, if you like. Uh, From Roadshow on the 4th of January Night Swim Which we haven't yet seen From Universal And this coming week We're going to see The Boys in the Boat From Warner Brothers So they're they're the movies That uh, you can look forward to A number of those I would imagine Will be featured prominently In some of the awards Especially Poor Things uh, Which is is quite a remarkable movie But let's start today With a a film that if, If you've got Netflix You'll be able to see this From the 20th of December So what's that? It's only, today's the 10th, so we're talking about 10 days away. Not bad at all. But if you want to see it in the cinema, you can see it right now. And I'm talking about Maestro. Now, this is an important movie in as much as it's the follow-up for Bradley Cooper as a director. And, I mean, he made quite a splash, both in terms of starring and directing A Star Is Born. Hard to believe that's now five years ago. Wow. and This is a movie, Maestro, about Leonard Bernstein and his wife, and it's uh, impressionistic rather than sort of a a biography in the traditional sense of the word. It's, um, It's interesting because there are a number of directors that were associated with this, I think initially Martin Scorsese and then Steven Spielberg, and then when Spielberg pulled out due to his work schedule, basically Brad Cooper took it on, and he also wrote the piece with Josh Singer. And Josh Singer is quite an acclaimed writer. He, he was responsible, among other movies, for Spotlight. So it's got really strong pedigree. Talking about pedigree, is there a better actor going around than Carey Mulligan? We don't see a lot of her. When we see her, she's always excellent, and between her and Brad Cooper, you've got really stars, absolute stars who are masters of their craft. This is 129 minutes in duration. It's M-rated. And I suppose there, there isn't an American conductor-composer that would be better known than Leonard Bernstein. W- would there be, Peter? I mean, he, he sort of was fated the world over for his talent. When we're, we're talking about he's a pianist, a teacher, an author, as well as a conductor and composer. And for those who don't recall when he passed away, Again, hard to believe 23 years ago 1990 he died. He was born in 1918. So he lived to the age of 72 and he enjoyed a really close and loving relationship with his wife who was a Costa Rican Chilean actress called Felicia Felicia Montalegre Con C O H N. So there was Jewish heritage there. Uh she she was noted for her theatrical roles on and off Broadway and for her performances in televised dramas but behind the scenes everything was not always rosy and despite fathering three children with Legra, who doted on Bernstein he was more attracted to men than women he and his wife had an understanding but there were times when acting upon his impulses caused her frustration and distress but the pair always connected on an intellectual level and They did enjoy many happy times together. So this is an artistic retelling of their lives primarily focused on him. And it starts as Bernstein gets his break, his big break, at the age of 25. That's when, due to circumstances, he steps in at the last moment without reversal to lead the New York Philharmonic at Carnegie Hall. And it made national headlines the following day. Bernstein simply loved being around people. He, He couldn't even count, and I found this rather... Rather interesting, he couldn't even count having the toilet door closed. Right. So he, he was adored, he was fated wherever he went, and he loved being the centre of attention. Maestro paints Bernstein as a man in constant motion, this bundle of pent-up energy. There, there's a scene towards the end of the film which shows him conducting an orchestra in a cathedral with want and abandon. It's draining, a full body and mind experience, and it goes to the core of Bernstein's being. In, and as I mentioned, this is the, the follow-up to A Star Is Born. The um, it's it's art house in style. It's as much about look and feel, and I think you can read into that bohemian lifestyle as it is about substance. There, there's a quote at the beginning of the movie which I think sums it up very well as a film as well. because Bernstein said, a work of art does not que- answer questions; it provokes them. Right? It doesn't answer them; it provokes them. And Cooper and, and Mulligan make this mesmeric and insightful combination the start and development of their love story so natural their their first kiss in a dark and old theater there's heat there's passion there's conviction in their collective portrayals and uh, mulligan ensures that mrs bernstein is seen as no lightweight uh character however she takes more of a back seat cooper's the show pony He, he plays bernstein as a man constantly looking for affirmation which he inevitably receives then, 45 minutes in, the mood shifts appreciably as Mrs. Bernstein calls out her husband for quote-unquote getting sloppy with an outward display of affection for the same sex. And later, he addresses rumours, again in quotation marks, with his eldest daughter. It's a, it's a really perfect vehicle to showcase Bernstein's intoxicating music. Maestro features really well-known works of his, as well as more niche pieces, and visually, Matthew Liberty, who was responsible for cinematography on The the Whale, uh, among many, many others, in his repertoire, captures an affluent lifestyle with distinction. I mentioned stylistically, it's impressionistic as a film, moves from black and white to colour to reflect time shifts. Uh, it, the start of it's effectively in, in black and white and then it moves to colour. Uh, Maestro then really is a feast for the senses, Peter. I reckon it's going to hold particular appeal to those with an artistic bent and it's in cinemas now available on Netflix on the 20th of December. Did you appreciate it and uh, do you agree with me that it's not going to be a an everybody's film?
1: Uh, I very much like the film and appreciated it a great deal because of its impressionistic as you say approach to Bernstein's life. Um, Bernstein rather than Bernstein I, I mean
0: again did they say I thought they said Bernstein and
1: maybe I'm um, no, I was listening very carefully. Oh, it Bernstein. was always Bernstein, Bernstein. Lovely. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. I mean, when you think of uh, a stein of beer, S-T-E-I-N, yeah. you, you don't yeah. say stein. No, <laughs> no. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, but
0: names can often get mispronounced or mangled or whatever. Spelling of names is an interesting one too. But in this yeah. case, right, it is like beer stein. Okay. Stein, yeah.
1: So, okay. So, yeah. so uh, look. I was very impressed by this. In fact, it was Spielberg and Scorsese who both approached uh, Cooper to direct the film because they were so impressed with the way he directed *A Star Is Born*. But and I did
0: think that that it was going to be initially directed by my my, my reading of it suggested that uh, it was going to be a, a Steven Spielberg film. But then he found there was conflicts, etc. That's right. Yeah, and it's only then that basically uh, Cooper said to uh, to to uh, what is his name uh, Steven Spielberg <laughs> what's his name sorry um that um this is my take on it i've really got a good handle on it and he, he very much does there's no no question about that it, it's very um it's it's highbrow stuff though isn't it i mean the the intellectual rigor in this movie
1: Well, yes, but it's also a love story and and I think that's where people will connect with it because it it does focus to some extent on his music, but it does dismiss um, some of his key compositions, including um, the music he composed for On the Waterfront. Which is is mentioned, but not not even heard, and and there's a few other compositions he did. Although I must commend um, Cooper for only having Bernstein's music in the film. Yes. there's no other compositions or anything like that. No, I, I think that's that's it's
0: it's a, it's a really brilliant representation. I I it's amazing how because Brett there was never any question about Brad Cooper's talent as an actor. But before he did A Star Is Born, nobody knew he could direct. And with that, you know, that was a wonderful piece of work as well. And it's fascinating that this has got a music bent. Whilst he obviously was aware of uh, West Side Story and, uh, you know, as a youngster, Brad Cooper, I believe he didn't really have a good handle on uh, – he, he had to do a lot of research. And that re- research really has shown up in this movie, isn't it, Peter?
1: that's exactly right but don't forget he uh the shallow sequence in star is born yes. is what convinced uh, spielberg to uh, to have cooper as the director of uh, uh maestro so uh, he knows music as well and yeah. he understands it and he, he i like the way he uses a sort of a sw- almost swirling camera work uh, mm. in a lot of the scenes but also he uses two aspect ratios, so he's a bit like Wes Anderson. So he he starts and finishes with the the normal thirty five mil uh, aspect ratio, and then most of the film is in the Academy four point three, which is sort of slightly boxed in uh, sort of ratio. And, was and that said, there, I, I, because I was so carried away by the movie, I I wasn't even conc- cognizant of that. W- was that aspect? Uh, in both the colour and black and white, or was it...? Yes, it was. It was. The uh, the uh, the Academy Ratio, uh, it first morphs into that in black and white, yeah. um, and uh, after we've seen the uh, widescreen version of um, uh, the first sequence of the film, and then it stays in black and white in that Academy Ratio until it, it then just morphs into colour. When Because what happens is, uh, what Br- Cooper has done, is this film is about snapshots. It's yes. about different time periods. Uh, so it's not necessarily a continuous narrative. Mm-hmm. It's it's a narrative that has particular time periods and segments mm-hmm. attached to it. And I think that's what also makes it quite effective. And I must say, um, the, the way he treats uh, Bernstein's bisexuality uh, is, is actually quite effective because it, it shows how he also, Bernstein, was torn. Uh, between his uh, sort of male and female desires, etc., and uh, do you think this- he was torn?
0: Do you? I mean, I, I, I actually got the impression that, I. Hey, I've got an understanding. I can do what I want. I, I. I so sort of, he, as I said, I thought that Kerry Mulligan plays the backseat role and and plays it extraordinarily well. But you know, she, she's somebody who doesn't want to necessarily. She's not backward in coming forward, but but she was happy to be behind the scenes and 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 so on but it clearly there, there's a pivot point in the movie where yes. where whereby um she's had enough yeah um, and i I really don't want to spoil the surprise for people but uh, w- when she calls him out she also then has an epiphany later on about you know is it is it he that needs to change or is it she that needs to change yeah like, in terms of mindset and I so so I was thinking it, it goes to color. What about forty-five minutes in, something like that? Something moment. like that. Yes, yes. And then, then, but then, does the aspect ratio go to traditional cinema screen when it goes to color?
1: That was what no, I. No, no, it stays at Academy ratio until the very last scene uh, of the film, and okay. which I think I think was that uh, conducting in uh, uh, in London. Uh, um, that was that at the con- uh, the convent at uh, the
0: um, cathedral. Yes, yes, yes. That was an well that uh, if there's one scene in
1: the movie that sums up his energy, that is it. It wasn't an extraordinary scene. It was in fact he uh studied uh Bernstein's uh, uh conducting methods and especially uh, conducting uh, at that cathedral. And oh, you know he what, the, and the, that was shot in one take. Wow. Really.
0: Yes. I the the um other aspects they've aged him very well they've aged both of the actors very well yeah. um i thought the do you know which cathedral that that is in because it's stunning uh, i think I've seen it but i just don't don't recall i, I honestly i didn't look it up either
1: do, do you know no it, it it's one i've i've uh, not heard of so uh what yeah, you, well, you would, oh I okay. guess yeah. so maybe I haven't seen it i it's um i presume you've um
0: i mean you've gone to Europe many times but the uh the churches, the cathedrals are, are amazing architecturally. They're amazing. The, the 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 height in them, and the the space, and the windows, and so on. And it, it just, it, I, I thought that was one of the most intoxicating movies, uh, scenes in a movie I've seen
1: this year. Yeah, it's been. That it was really special, wasn't it? Yes, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. It was, it, it, I mean, the whole thing was very well directed, and. Uh, um, Uh, What also impressed me is that at the end credits, we see two things, or see and hear two things. One is the real Leonard Bernstein. And secondly, uh, most of the uh, music he composed for Candide, which is such a fantastic Mm -hmm. score, uh, is featured uh, in the end credits. So uh, hats off to uh, Cooper for doing that. Um, I just wish he had included a bit more of some of his earlier music, uh, including, as I mentioned, on the waterfront and so on. He's never seen without a cigarette in his hands.
0: That is, yes, I, the whole. I, I was like, oh my god, the the quit campaign really needs to get onto this movie. They, uh, like, it is just it's it's horrible to see. As a vehement non-smoker, I d- I understand it's reflecting a time period. I, I've I've spoken to you about this before, Peter. That when I go along to the theatre. So often in an enclosed space, they smoke and it's driving me, it drives me nuts because it it, it stinks. And I know that these are herbal cigarettes, but yes. the jury's out on whether they're dangerous as well. So they're imperiling their lives as actors potentially, and they're imperiling our lives as people who go along and see
1: theatre without wanting to get a gobful. So it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, they don't contain anything carcinogenic, those herbal uh, really? cigarettes. So, I, I, yeah, no, they're quite safe because they're used a lot in movies and so on. And, uh, uh, and uh, I don't, I don't think there's any problem with them. Well,
0: but, but it's, it, I don't, can you think of a movie where they've smoked more? I can't than Maestro.
1: Oh, would, oh, my goodness. Romance and cigarettes comes to mind immediately. Exactly. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, I thought, but, but was there a character that didn't smoke in Maestro? Like,
0: I mean, it was kind of like a, a rite of passage, wasn't it?
1: You it know? was. But yeah. but unfortunately, there's the sad aspect of that uh, in terms yeah. of uh, Carrie Mulligan, yeah. Well, not just Carrie Mulligan. Um, Her character, I mean. No, yeah, but, but no, 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 not,
0: not just. Uh, it was also, uh, if I'm not mistaken, didn't Burnstone die of mesothelioma, which again could have been contributed to by. Cigarettes. I, yes, I, I yes. might be mistaken, but because he he died well, relatively young at seventy two, as I'm as mentioned at the outset. Um, it's interesting how much conversation this movie does spark because there there are so many aspects to it. Right, where we've talked about the the artistic representation, we've talked oh the cinematography. I was like, he's one of the great cinematographers, Matthew Liberty you, you look at his CV. Oh my golly, it's 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 huge. He did Black Swan, didn't he? I think. From-
1: yes, uh, yes,
0: amongst other things, and he's. It, it's it's interesting because I mean let's be honest they they lived a pretty luxurious lifestyle didn't they? Yes, they it it shows that off so nicely. Um, you know it's um and and you've got the outdoor shots you've got the indoor shots they're equally compelling um the the home that they share. Uh, that going onto sort of open fields, all of that stuff is um is very very special. Um, I, I got to say that I got an incredibly favourable impression of Felicia Montilgra con uh, the Carrie Mulligan character. She she really is incredibly patient um, and a, a very talented, seemingly in her own right. Because I, I had you seen any of her work? I, I hadn't. I wasn't familiar with her as an actor. Karen Mulligan? Oh, in An Education? No no no. no, 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 no. I'm talking about the, the actor. Oh, Felicia. Felicia, yeah. No, uh, no, no, no. I hadn't, I hadn't heard of her. No, no. no. M- Mulligan I, is one of my favourites of all time. Whenever yes. I see her, I, I long to see pictures that... It, it's interesting. There's a number of actors that can assume the identities of the characters they're playing, and that's the that's the sign of a great actress. There, there's many, um, but... Um, our own Kate Blanchett is a good example of that. Uh, Nicole Kidman's another one. We're looking at th- this, and and there are so many. But Carey Mulligan is at the the top of the pile. She's just fabulous. So, uh, I, I mean, I I don't. This is not going to be a big audience film, though. It's a, it's only in selective cinemas, and as I mentioned, it's going to go to Netflix on the the twentieth. Um, you know, I I'll be fascinated. With, I, I suppose some people will see it because of Brad Cooper and i wonder whether if you're looking, expecting a mainstream performance then you you might be surprised correct
1: yes i think so but uh, i don't know i think this film has uh, certain qualities that will see it hang around even though it's going to to netflix and and it's interesting to compare oh, I, it with i think it's going to netflix but I,
0: but i just what i'm saying is i don't think it's going to have broad base appeal but i uh,
1: uh, i'm not
0: so sure about that well i i just think people the impressionistic nature of it will not be uh, will not appeal to some people. That that's what I'm getting at. I, well, I mean, some people like impressionism, and others others find it hard to take.
1: Well, as I said, it is also a love story. It, it's also Bradley Cooper, who does appeal to a lot of people, and uh, and I think the the storytelling is is fairly strong. So um, uh, yeah. and a bit like tar which also uh, ended up having a a reasonably strong audience, a a wider audience before it went to streaming. I think people will gravitate to Maestro because they'll appreciate, um, even though it might be, as you say, perhaps for a slightly older audience, but that doesn't matter. I think it does have a lot of mainstream appeal.
0: Well, I saw it uh, only on Friday and it was a very old audience. Uh, I, I just, yeah, I... And that that that's fine. I I I think I think that um, Tar is probably more accessible than this. To be honest, that, that's my my take. I, I I found it accessible because I really related to it. But I yeah, I, I hope it does well because it really deserves to. It's a terrific film. So what are you going to give it out of ten, Maestro? M rated, hundred and twenty nine minutes. Oh uh, yes, excellent film. Nine out of ten. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I agree. I was giving it eight and a half ish, maybe nine. So yeah, similar sort of territory. So it makes it one of the big films of the year in terms of scores. And um, hopefully, we'll hear more about it. But um, good on Netflix. sort of, obviously, they're pouring a lot of money into making really good films. I'm not sure what the budget on this would have been, but it wouldn't have been would have would not have been uh, slight. And uh, they it, it, I mean, how how long will it take for streaming services to overtake the major studios in terms of Oscar wins, right? Uh, because, I mean, it, it, there, there seems to be more and more. I was delighted that we had the Barbie uh, Oppenheimer phase of 2023 where people went back to cinemas because it's wonderful to see something on the big screen. But uh, obviously the streaming services are a real threat to the major studios, aren't they, in terms of bringing out uh, Oscar-nominated films?
1: that's absolutely right i mean amazon is doing this and uh, and uh, apple etc so uh, uh, yes um but uh, again that's fine because that means they're investing in quality films in good scripts so that uh, uh, they get a cinema release first before they then go on the streaming services mm, exactly so you are on J air 88 fm 24 hours a day programming
0: uh, there's intelligent listening hopefully and a bit of music as well to keep everybody entertained if you want to be a member don't hesitate go to jair.com.au and you are going to then be able to subscribe for 54 bucks a year uh so that is uh, a good thing to do jair.com.au is your site so uh Enjoy the listening and uh, express your appreciation with a with, with a few coins, so to speak. Now, I wanted to go from the sublime to the ridiculous. Can we do that? You know, <laughs> go uh, for it. Yeah. Well, uh, it's kind of interesting that we we talked about a really highly intelligent movie uh, that uh, is uh, well, it is for the intelligentsia uh, in Maestro, and we go from that to Dicks the Musical. Now, uh, I, I'm pleased that this is an audio rather than a visual representation because uh, there are some lines and some language that's used in Dick's that uh is going to mortally offend people who are not the right proclivity beta uh, and this is this is only an 86 minute movie it's rated MA for very good reason and uh well it is quite some movie uh, I mean you've got to approach Dick Dick's uh, uh the musical uh with an open mind um if you do uh, you can revel in it. Otherwise, you could be shooting off an angry email to the Australian Classification Board for having the temerity to even consider registering the movie. <laughs> that, <that's kind> of... <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. it is that sort of film. There's no question. And, and um, look, the the guy who directed Borat and Bruno, Larry Charles, uh, he can hardly be accused of playing it safe. And so it is with this one. It's a hard-swearing politically incorrect comedy which will delight those sick and tired of woke, right? So it's the cinematic adaptation of a a musical stage play and I can't even pronounce the first word of that musical stage play on this family program, Peter. Let's just call it Effing Identical Twins, the musical. That was the name of it. Um, Yep. I'm sure you didn't see it in the the theatre, did you? No, I just missed it. By uh, like that much, yeah. I'm not sure that it's actually played here in Australia. Anyway, uh, I don't think it has. It's by Aaron Jackson and Josh Sharp. And let's just say they are not backward in coming forward. So um, it, it features a, an off the wall script in which those two, Jackson and Sharp, fill the principal roles. And they play twins, Trevor and Craig. Now, good old Trevor and Craig were separated at birth, neither of whom know that the other actually exists. And individually, they're highly sexed, heterosexuals, and and they're mighty successful in business. When their two companies merge, they meet one another for the first time since they were in the crib. And without knowing who the other is, they are immediately competitive. Once the penny drops, though, that they are in fact brothers, they become inseparable. Both were brought up in by individual parents, and, and they hatch a plan for their folks to get together again. Only, well, as the saying goes, goes that the best laid plans of mice and men. And it turns out that they, well, how do I put this nicely? They've got fruit loops for parents, Peter. That's <laughs> they <do. laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> They've got iced vovos on top of fruit loops. Now, the, the mum, whose name is Evelyn, played by Megan Mullally, Speaks to inanimate objects, of course. Yes, uh, she's wheelchair bound, and she, uh, yeah. I, there's no nice way of saying this. She lost her vagina. Very careless of her, Peter. Uh, <laughs> yes. I, 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 kid you not. I, you yeah. So the dad. Now, at this point, I think a lot of people are switching off the radio. Please <laughs> <laughs> don't. Please persevere. Now, the dad, whose name is Harris played by Nathan Lane, made it his life's journey to care for a pair of ugly, bizarre, caged creatures with sharp teeth. Uh, Yes, uh, these are manufactured things. And um, he he actually drops the news that he's gay. This whole exercise in togetherness uh, is overseen by a homosexual Asian figure that calls himself God. So, this that, he's a character all of, of his own as well. Very colourful. Anyway, if all of what I've said sounds like deranged claptrap it is but but it's also ridiculously funny at times. It's forever pushing the envelope it's always done tongue in cheek and this is a movie that sets out to offend and provoke. Musically I thought the songs through which part of the, the plot unfolds are quite melodious. I so, I think some of them are really strong. Um, the talent, by the way, is a wow of a time. I I didn't think I'd be saying that having given the description that I have, but somehow there's, a, there's an elegance about most of, of Lane's portrayal, even though his his monster's first approach is extreme, to say the least. And that includes deliberately spitting into the preacher's faces. Now, I wouldn't call that elegant, Um uh, you will get context in terms of that remark about spitting into the faces of the creatures if you go along and see the movie. Megan Mullally, well, she plays up her demented characterization. I, I quite like the boys' one-upmanship, but their, their bonding reaches furious heights. God is portrayed by Bowen Yang. Um, he's never quite... To, God, I don't think, has ever quite looked like he has in this movie. Um uh, or is it God he she it they whatever uh a oh, portrayal of God uh, I also appreciated Megan Thee Sat- stallion's role as the uh, the twins new feminist boss Gloria uh, she won't stand for any nonsense she's quite a powerful figure so yeah uh what more could I say this is a film that will polarize uh, uh pun fully intended uh what uh, what what do you have to say? Uh,
1: Will, Dick Dix have you standing to attention, Peter? I... Uh, Okay, moving one to long. I won't cock it up. No, if we talk about uh, the film, I mean, from the outset, it makes it very clear this is a gay musical mm. and uh, it's over the top and it's uh, there's nothing subtle in this film at all, although there are some very funny lines um, throughout the film. And Josh Sharp and Aaron Jackson uh, have done, uh, I think, a really clever job in making this a very outlandish, out there um, sort of uh, film. Um, with uh, two excellent cast members, um, Megan Mullally and Nathan Lane. It's interesting, those sewer boys, as um, Nathan Lane uh, feeds them, uh, they're they're actually puppets. And at the end of the film, there's Uh an excellent post-credit sequence where we see behind the scenes and uh, outtakes and so on. And we see the actual puppets. um, And obviously they used um, uh, visual effects to erase... The uh, the link between the puppets and the puppet masters behind them. Look, this is a, a very funny film. Yes, it is very offensive at times. It's also very sexual at times, uh, and it has something to say about, uh, I suppose, inclusion. Um, uh, I mean, it's the, it's the best uh, uh, film about identical twins uh, that <laughs> after uh, uh, the one with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger I've and, tw- and, and, and Demi yeah. yeah, so look, there's a lot to like about this film. It's it's uh, fast moving, very colourful, uh, very offensive and a lot of fun. Yeah, exactly. So what are you going to give it out of 10? Look, I really enjoyed it. It's, uh, I mean, it obviously is uh, for particular tastes and so on, and uh, it does get a little bit over the top at times, especially. No, with, uh, really? Uh, no. Well, especially having the. Uh, no, I won't even talk. I won't even mention sure that. No, the- uh, look, I give it seven out of ten. Seven
0: out of ten. Okay. Yes, I'm going to give it seven out of ten as well. I, I mean, that's a that's a pretty good mark. Let's be honest. For yeah, a movie of this sort of ilk. Let's um let's turn to another film which uh, came out last week, The Old Oak. Now, I think we spoke about it in relation to the British Film Festival some time ago. Did we not? I, I can't remember. Whether, that's, that's correct because either. that was the media screening, yes. That was the media screening. But but um, nevertheless, I, I think it's worth mentioning again now. Uh, it's um MA rated. It's 113 minutes. And xenophobia is at the heart of this one. It's the fifteenth collaboration between the director Ken Loach and the writer Paul Laverty. Now, the director said this is going to be his last film because he's what, well into his eighties, is he? Something of yes. that, like. eighty-two, I think. Right. Okay. Uh, look, the, whether it is indeed, I, you know, well, only time will tell. But um, the title, by the way, there's a name of, It's the name of a pub in the northeast of England, which is a, a popular watering hole that's seen better days, and it's operated by a down-to-earth publican called T.J. Ballantyne. Dave Turner plays him, who's struggling to make ends meet, uh, like most residents of the impoverished town. Uh, It's never recovered since the demise of the the mining industry, and we're talking 2016, by the way. You've you've got an influx of Syrian refugees that's not welcomed, and that adds pressure. It changes the dynamic. One of the the refugees is a respectful young woman called Yara. Played by Ebla Mary, she speaks uh, very English, very very well, and she learned the language while volunteering to help foreign nurses as she and her family lived in a refugee camp for a couple of years after escaping her war-torn nation. Her father, who was a tailor, was taken by the state-sponsored militia and is now missing, presumed dead. Yara's most prized possession is actually the camera. That her father gave her and when she exits the bus on arriving in her new home the camera's taken toyed with and broken uh, by an outspoken local who is upset that she's taken his photo from the bus window and that sets in train a chain of events that sees kind-hearted but determined Yara interact with and befriend TJ Ballantyne the the publican and I should say eventually many others in town as well. And in doing so, TJ Ballantyne cops the ire of many of the bar's regulars, including a mate that he went to school with. And this fallout bubbles over after TJ agrees to fix up the pub's shabby back room, which has laid dormant for 20 years. And the purpose of doing so is to facilitate integration. But that comes at a cost. And as the movie unfolds, we find out more about Yara's family and TJ's own personal struggles it's gritty it's working class that's I mean that describes Ken Loach's body of work uh, it's a movie that tugs at the heartstrings at presenting both hardship and hope I thought the key characters were very well established Dave Turner quite a natural as a man who has had to turn his life around but nearly didn't make it although I've got to say to you Peter and I remember mentioning this to you when we saw the screening I struggled to reconcile that narrative thread with the empathetic soul that we see. The fact that he was, um, I don't know, a, a, a different man altogether. Uh, I, I Yeah, didn't kind of, uh, I found that hard. Anyway, Ebla Mary makes a favorable impression as the measured Syrian who wants the best for everyone. Hers is a rather low-key portrayal of a woman who's experienced a great deal of pain and heartbreak. Claire Rogerson impressed me as the enthusiastic Laura she works at with Yara and TJ to propagate the Syrians' integration into the community. And um, look, whilst I did appreciate and was quite moved by the old oak, this is where uh, you and I might differ, but I I could feel myself being manipulated. I, I could foretell the chess pieces being shifted for dramatic effect, which I wish I couldn't because the best movies allow me to just go on the journey without being conscious of going on the journey Still, I wouldn't say you should take that to mean I question the film's intent or the focus on the evocative subject matter. I applaud that. It remains emotionally wrought, The Old Oak, throughout, and and it does carry a message of the, the benefits of integration and solidarity. So a bit of a mixed bag for me in The Old Oak. Did you have any concerns similar to mine or not?
1: No, I, I didn't. I accepted the uh, the publican's character that he has changed and uh, and wants to fit in with the community, etc. Despite his past, I, I didn't find that a problem. And yes, Ken Loach is, is such a a working class focused filmmaker, and uh, his films always have a social conscience. Um, in to some extent, he tries to have uh, a, a positive arc in his films so that there's some sort of hope or redemption or whatever for the people in his films. And I I think that works very well in The Old Oak, especially bringing these two disparate communities together. Um, And he he is very critical of this uh, older community that is so uh, entitled and feels as if any foreigners or refugees or whatever are going to disrupt them and and, uh, shouldn't be there and so on. And he finds a way of trying to look at that reconciliation um, aspect, and I think he does that quite effectively. So, no, I really enjoyed this film. I think it's a, another excellent film from Ken Loach, and uh, he he is such a good filmmaker in so far as uh, and and one of the few that does look at working class and uh, and downtrodden sort of existences and uh, and trying to make a positive um, energy out of those and to m- give messages to audiences about um, understanding uh, these sort of uh, perspectives. So uh, I was very impressed with uh, The Old Oak and I hope he does make another film. Well, I hope so
0: too. And it's, look, it's it's one of those things that obviously you've got to have the energy to be able to go from go to woe when you're making movies and an age uh... – unfortunately does get to people at some points of time so um yeah that that is the way it is but okay what's your score is probably going to be higher than mine for the old oak what do you think yep really liked it eight out of ten from me really okay six and a half to seven because of the reservations i had otherwise a little bit hang on somebody coming through your your little basic um to cardboard boxes what's going on you know, They're coming to take me away, huh a, a, traffic, a traffic report as we go, yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, golly. Uh, now, we've we We should. Um, we, we've talked about one risque movie. We should probably talk about another one, which is quite funny, actually. It's called Bottoms, and uh, this is an MA-rated movie. It also came out Thursday before the most recent one. Uh, it's 92 minutes, and it's lowbrow comedy, and it, it's... Um, PJ, played by Rachel Sennett, and Josie, AO Adabiri, they're besties. They're also gay. Neither popular at school. Still, PJ is ready to go with the flow, but Josie, well, she's not. She's convinced that she'll never basically have sex. And the latter has a rise on a cheerleader called Isabel, played by Havana Rose Loom, who's dating the school's arrogant, womanizing jock called Jeff, Nicholas. Galazzini. Meanwhile, PJ is taken by Isabel's statuesque and beautiful friend Brittany, played by Kaya Gerber. And as events transpire, Josie hobbles Jeff, literally hits him and hobbles him. Um, basically, Jeff is chasing Isabel ahead of an annual grudge footy match against the school's fierce rivals and um, and that's when this whole thing happens and in defending herself in front of the school's principal who's played by Wayne Pierre, Josie with PJ's backing concocts a plan to start a girl's self-defense class. Now they also don't deny a suggestion that they spent the summer in juvie, in juvenile detention and they win the support of classmate Hazel Callahan, played by Ruby Cruz and later also a teacher Mr G played by Marshwan Lynch who is going through a divorce. So it is that Fight Club moves into full swing, leaving more than a few bruises, quite literally. Uh, bad language and jive talk apart for the course in what is quite an outrageous offering. I actually thought of Book Smart and Polite Society. Did, did you think of any other movies while watching this?
1: Well, uh, if we're talking about the director Emma Seligman, I also uh, thought of her uh, previous film. Shiver Baby, yeah. Yes. I mean, it is the work of, of, of Seligman.
0: And she made a huge splash with that one. She wrote Botham, Bottoms with Rachel Sennett, who starred in Chew Baby. And, and um, uh, Emma Seligman is also the director of this one. Uh, it, it's all about sex and fitting in. It's, it's edgy. It's coarse. I think it'll delight a younger demographic. And if you think about the, the, the two women here, Seligman and Sennett, both in their late 20s, they, they've tapped into the, the wants of those with primal needs coursing through their veins uh, the plotting hardly likely to appeal to Mensa graduates though Peter um, but but then it was never pitched as such uh, the characters are what make the the narrative sing they, they stumble they fumble and they bumble their way through their adolescence Senate and Etabiri are unifying forces Senate as PJ the more polarising and pushier Etabiri as Josie more respectful and conservative but Havana Rose Rue plays Isabella as a girl looking for Meaningful connection in all the wrong places, and Kaya Gerber is well. I'd call her a pretty adornment as as Brittany. So um, arguably the most interesting character is Rachel Callahan. Ruby Cruz injects an air of mystery into her realization. And Nicholas Gallatin Z uh, channels the classic meathead in the um, the jock Jeff. Wayne Pierre uh, clearly believes in the bastardized adage: "Nothing exceeds like excess." breathing life into the principal uh in this movie i actually warmed to the torn figure of marshwan lynch as a teacher and uh i actually wouldn't have minded seeing a bit more of him in the movie it also this movie bottoms benefits from this hip and happening soundtrack i thought that created the um the right vibe so yeah it's ma rated for good reason what did you think of bottoms peter
1: <laughs> I liked Bottoms. I thought it was also very clever, and uh, um... Bottoms comes out on top, Peter. Thank you very much. Yes, um, uh, mm. uh it it reminded me a little bit of Heather's and uh, a sort of a gay version of Heather's, um, with the uh, the two young women and uh, their plotting and uh, and scheming to uh, have relationships and so on. So the the whole lesbian focus is uh, an interesting one, and the dumb jocks idea um is also uh, quite amusing because it it's stereotypical, but. Uh, it, it's taken to the nth degree uh, in the latter part of the film. Uh look, Elizabeth Banks produced this film uh, amongst others, and and this is, um, I, I think, a very clever and well-written film. Uh, Zeligman's film, Shiver Baby, had such a great script mm. uh, about two women who meet at a Jewish wake and, and so on. It's a, a really clever uh, writing, and she's uh, continued that. Um, with Rachel in this film Bottoms and and of course Bottoms refers to being the bottom of the heap. They are two women who are regarded as the dregs of the, the high school and so they have to find a way of achieving something that will give them some sort of notoriety and they certainly do that oh, yeah. <laughs> as, as the film progresses and uh, in fact the, it, la- later in the film it does get into a fairly violent uh, sort of situation, which I thought I, I didn't quite expect, but I thought actually fitted into the broad satire that this film is going for. So, yes, I, I liked Bottoms. I think it's a lot of fun and uh, quite clever and uh, and also has uh, the uh, credit sequence uh, that you must uh, stay and watch for. So many films are having oh, yes. these uh, credit, post-credit sequences. That it's, it's silly for audiences to walk out as soon as the first credits start it's frustrating. appearing. It's frustrating because, I mean, you, you're missing
0: so much good stuff. especially outtakes are particularly amusing, no question about yes. What would you give bottoms? Uh,
1: <laughs> Look, um, I was tossing up between seven and eight, but I think I'd give it seven out of ten. Well, there you go. I did toss up between seven and eight,
0: and I gave it a seven and a half. See, that's the midway point, Peter, right? Okay. Okay. Good man. <laughs> okay. MA rated, 92 minutes in duration. We should probably finish by mentioning a... I don't know, it's that sort of um, uh, good, good uh, sort of film to finish on because of its family. Uh, did you see the original Trolls? You know, they they sort of had – It's a franchise, and uh, have, did you see the original when that came out? Yes, I have. I've seen all three now. Ah, yes, exactly. I mean, I I didn't think I'd like this much as much, uh, one as much as I did. I I actually enjoyed it. Did, did I'm talking about Trolls band together? Is the name of the movie? The five troll brothers were once part of a highly successful boy band called Brozone, but that one came to an inglorious end. And now all these years later, getting the group together again is the only way out for one of the guys who um, has, has actually been kidnapped by imposters. And that's the plot. Uh, it's it's a colourful surge film in the franchise, started with Trolls in 2016, followed by Trolls World Tour in 2020, and it starts Trolls Band together with a recap of why the band split. It mentioned that they came to an inglorious end and it had everything to do with the older brother John Dory, who's voiced by Eric Andre, his demanding ways and, and also his search for perfection. So each of the bros then went their own way and the youngest of them called Branch, voiced by Justin Timberlake, left to care for their grandmother. And he, he basically was expected... Uh, to expecting them all to be reunited, but that never happened. And now he's all grown up, living his best life with his dedicated girlfriend, who is a gregarious overtalker called Poppy, voiced by Anna Kendrick. She has no idea of Branch's past, but that changes when out of the blue he receives an unexpected visit from his oldest brother, John Dory. In fact, it comes in the middle of a nuptials between Poppy's best friend Bridget voiced by Zoé Deschan- Deschanel and King Gristle, Christopher mintz, mintz- plass Dory gives Branch the shocking news that the brother that Branch was closest to, his name's Floyd, voiced by Troy Sivan, is being held captive and bit by bit drained of his musical talents, as if that's something you can drain. But anyway, the nefarious act has been perpetrated by the hottest new duo going around, a brother and sister act called Velvet, Amy Schumer. It's Velvet and, and Veneer. Velvet voiced by Amy Schumer and Veneer by Andrew Rennells. And probably the best way to understand this, brother and sister, duo Velvet and Veneer is to think Millie Vanilli, right, when they're impersonating singers. They've trapped Floyd, that brother that um, Branch is closest to, in a blue diamond, and they drain his musical ability every time they sing. The strength of the diamond can't be shattered unless all five trolls are in sync. And that's going to take quite some doing. John Drury with Branch and Poppy already in tow moves to collect his other bros, Bruce, Dovey, Diggs and Clay, Kit Cootie before mounting a rescue mission. And their method of transport? Now, Peter, I, I dare you to try that armadillo. Can you call <laughs> your local armadillo, please? Right? I'm, I'm Uber Yeah, yeah. Very good indeed. So, okay, and they're driven there by the diminutive tiny diamond, Keenan Thompson, who does indeed sparkle. But is it a trap? So, that's, that's the question that is asked. Uh, it all, also must be noted along the way, Poppy learns about a long suppressed family secret when Viva, Camilla Cabello, steps into her life. And another note in the cast is Velvet and exploited but smart personal assistant, Crimp, Zosha Mamet. The uh, direction is never in doubt. The family-friendly journey, well worth taking. And you can see the film in isolation. It still hangs together. You don't need to have seen the earlier two. I kind of appreciated the life lessons the movie dished out in quite an entertaining way, especially the trajectory of several key characters that really grow and mature. Full of movement, colour, adventure and spark. Real energy about it. I think children will relate to that. Not without humour and byplay. Rainbow palette is a bit of a technicolour dream. And it also thrives on its musical choices. They're fabulous. Many hits up-tempo pop score real plus couldn't get enough of it based on good luck trolls created by thomas dam film written by elizabeth tippett also wrote trolls world tour directed by walter dawn who was responsible for the previous two installments so there's consistency co-direction from tim heights
1: good one for the young ones and um we haven't got a lot of time peter but did you enjoy it or not I did. I think young children will enjoy it, and I also like the satire that's in the film mm. for adults uh, about sending up boy bands and in sync with Justin Timberlake in there and all that, uh, his voice, etc. So, I, I think on both levels, uh, it's it's a, a pretty good family film for the the holidays. Yeah, exactly. I look. I'm giving it a seven out of ten. I, I thought
0: it was nice. What about you? Yeah, I gave it six out of ten, but it's it's good. Yeah, no, it's good. It's worthwhile. Folks um that is that is it Peter's been done himself proud he hasn't disagreed with me too many times today uh, and uh next week you can always wait for next week and uh maybe it'll be a different proposition Pete thanks so much mate for your um input today and uh, I look forward to doing it all again with you in the very near future in 7 days in fact yes thanks Alex all the best goodbye everyone